this week on Hope for the Broken. The depths of our prayers, the passion behind our prayers reveal our true understanding of the God to whom we pray. Listen, I think the example of Hannah is to grab a hold of God and don't let go until God moves. And some of us, we're going through real stuff. And you're praying every single day. And let me just encourage you, don't stop praying. You grab a hold of God and you don't let go until God moves in your life. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part three titled, Being Dedicated to the Lord. A few weeks ago, we started a new sermon series entitled Life Lessons, and we're taking a look at the book of 1 Samuel. We're in the book of 1 Samuel. We're working our way through verse by verse uh, through the study of uh, Samuel, and uh, we began a couple of weeks ago with an overview of uh, the book of Samuel, the, the overarching story of Samuel. And then last week, we took a look at chapter 1, the bulk of chapter 1, when we looked at Hannah's prayer and specifically her prayer for a son. And God answered that prayer in giving her Samuel. And the name Samuel means heard from God. And so she named him because she prayed and God heard her prayers and answered her very prayer. And so uh, today we're going to take a look at uh, Hannah fulfilling her vow. Remember, as a part of her prayer, she said, God, if you will come through, here in this, in this case, we're going to give our son back to you so that he could serve you all the days of his life. And so we're going to see the fulfillment of that vow here today as we take a look at Hannah's answer to God's response. And we also take a look at Hannah's adoration of God because of how he's worked and how he's moved. And then we're going to take a look at three life lessons that we learn uh, from this story for our day and time today. So let's first begin by looking at Hannah's answer. When I say Hannah's answer, I'm talking about her response to God's faithfulness in answering her prayer. Read along in your copy of God's Word, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. It says this, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and live there, dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. 
Now, for those of you that are following along in our study by way of timeline here, um, this would be uh, the year following Hannah's prayer. So remember, Hannah went up at the yearly sacrifice. That's where she prayed. She poured out her heart to God, and then God answered her. And in a year's time, she has had Samuel. Samuel's three months old. It's time to go back to the annual sacrifice in Shiloh. And she tells Elkanah, listen, I don't want to make the trip this year because Samuel's just three months old. In fact, I'm going to stay back until I have weaned him. Now, weaning a child in that day and time took about three to five years. And so she's skipping out on the next three to five years of visiting the annual sacrifice. But she told Elkanah, once we have officially weaned him, then we're going up there. And when we return from that trip, Samuel will not accompany us. He will stay, he will dwell, and he will serve in the kingdom of God for all the days of his life from that point on. And the thing that we learn here is that Elkanah was good with that plan. But you know what's interesting? Is according to Jewish law, Elkanah had the power and the ability to nullify Hannah's vow. So remember as a part of her prayer, she vowed that she would give him back to the Lord. Well, Elkanah, according to Jewish law, could say, you know what, we're not going to do that. And don't you think that that was a conversation piece between he and Hannah? I mean, think about it for a moment. Hannah did not have the ability to have children. Here she was blessed with Samuel. And I can imagine Elkanah, her husband, being a wise man saying, hey, listen, listen, Hannah, you, you have trouble having children. God has given us this child. You know, let's just hold on to this one. You know, we have the ability to legally nullify your vow to God. And so let's just hold on to this one. But we learned that that wasn't the case because they wind up honoring their vow. And in the process of discussing the plan with Hannah, Elkanah makes a statement. He says this, may the Lord establish his word. Now, scholars are debating about whether or not or who this his is. Whose word are we talking about here? May the Lord establish his word. Is that God's word or Samuel's word? And one possibility uh, is that uh, God had already fulfilled his word through the giving of Samuel, right? But that Elkanah is asking, okay, so when we fulfill our vow, may God also fulfill his further vow of allowing Samuel to serve him all the days of his life. Now, this is a powerful scene when you think about it. Because Elkanah and Hannah, this young couple, seem to be on the same page. He obviously knew Hannah's desire to have a child. He had seen how God worked to give her a son, But here's the truth. Samuel wasn't just Hannah's son. Samuel belonged to Elkanah as well. And yet both parents, I think this is key, both parents desired more than anything else for their children that they would serve the Lord. This is a beautiful picture. I want to come back to this later in a life lesson that I believe that we learned from this. Let's pick up verse 24. It says, And when she had weaned Samuel... She took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him, she brought Samuel, to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. 
Hannah is calling Eli, the priest, attention back to five years prior when she was praying so passionately that the priest thought that she was what? Thought that she was drunk. Hey, Eli, I'm that woman. You remember me. Verse 27, for this very child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. A couple things. Number one, what is meant by Hannah saying, I have lent him, lent my son to the Lord, right? We, we understand lending and borrowing in our day and time, correct? It's something that you borrow for a little bit, but you plan to return. This is completely different. This word lent, literally what could be translated here is, I have returned him to the Lord. The Lord gave him to me. I'm returning him back to God. The word lent, literally translated, means an irrevocable giving. In other words, I have given and I am not expecting him to return back to me. When we go out to eat as a family, if one of my kids say, hey, can I borrow your fork? I say, no, you can have it. Uh, Because once you use my fork, I'm not taking it back, right? Uh, That's weird. So that's the same kind of deal here, right? Is she is giving him to the Lord. So uh, then she informs Eli that she's giving Samuel to God, and it says he worshiped the Lord there. Now, who is the he? And there's some debate on who it is that's worshiping here. Is it Samuel that's worshiping? Is it the young boy? Is it Eli the priest? Is it Elkanah the dad? Some scholars even suggest that the pronoun he isn't even in the original manuscript, so it would possibly be Hannah worshiped the Lord there. What I believe, uh, because of how it ties in to chapter 2, verse 11, that it is Elkanah that is worshiping the Lord after giving Samuel to Eli. We're going to see that later as well. So we see Hannah's answer, her response to God's faithfulness in giving her a son is to make good on the promise that she made God. Now let's look at number two, Hannah's adoration. Hannah's adoration. We have in the opening verses of chapter two, a beautiful prayer of Hannah. Now what's interesting here is chapter one shows that Hannah is a passionately praying woman. Then in the very next chapter, chapter 2, what is she doing? She's passionately praying. You know, there is power, ladies, behind praying women. How many of us have benefited from a praying woman in our lives? I know I have. Every single one of us. This woman is a woman of prayer. But more than just a prayer, what she says, what she vocalizes is also a worship song. So it goes beyond a prayer. It's a worship song. She's adoring God. And this song that she spontaneously writes from her heart uh, are her last words recorded in the Bible. The last time we will hear Hannah speak. But it's not the last time her words are repeated. The very next time that her words are repeated and is, is in another young woman's prayer. Her name is Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
In Luke chapter one, what is known as the Magnificat, the, the prayer of Mary, when she learns that she is carrying the Messiah, much of her prayer is verbatim what Hannah prays. And so Mary, Hannah here is, is in her worship of him writing scripture. She doesn't even know it. She's writing scripture. And Mary, as a response to God, adoring God herself, prays this very same scripture. And so we see the power here. But even more than a worship song, more than a prayer, this is recorded, these words that are recorded from Hannah is also a prophecy. All the components are wrapped up into Hannah's adoration, her worship of God for who he is and what he has done. And so let's look at it and let's pick apart this beautiful prayer of Hannah. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It said, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, or the, literally my strength, my might, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. In other words, I smile in the face of my enemies. Why could she do that? Because I've rejoiced in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. In other words, there is no other person by whom we can place our faith and our trust in. Verse 3 Talk no more so very proudly, and let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. This is her expressing this sense of humility. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have now hired themselves out for bread, and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Now, the mentioning of seven here is probably not a literal mentioning of how many children Hannah had. We learn later on that she has five more children, uh, some boys and some girls. And so by the time you add Samuel in there, she's only had six children. She was once barren. She's now had six children, not seven. So what does the word seven mean there? Well, most oftentimes when you come across the, the number seven in the scriptures, it's for the idea of completeness, wholeness. So in other words, she's saying that the barren has become whole, has become complete. And then she says, then the, then the one who has bared many children has become desolate. Who do you think she's talking about there? Remember, if you were here last week, her rival, Ruby, Miss Penina, right? So, so she is now forlorn. Verse 6 says, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Now, what do you think that that's a picture of? If this is a prophecy prayer, what is that a picture of? Who else do we know that came down, lived, died, was buried, and rose again? This is a prophetic prayer, probably most likely tying in to the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 7 the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he exalts, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and he makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. 
The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. The word king there in the original language has the same root word as the word Messiah. And so here she is in this prophetic prayer talking about the Messiah, a savior, Jesus. And it says, in the strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Again, Messiah means anointed one. And so Hannah, obviously here in the prophecy section of her scripture, is speaking about, praying about the Lord Jesus himself. Now, I love what I see here in this prayer. I want to share with you what one pastor I read this week mentioned. He said this, before she had a child, her prayer was like, why me, Lord? Why am I so bitter? Why can I not have a child? Why me, Lord? But after God's gift of Samuel to her, Hannah changes. And she's like, why me, Lord? Why am I so blessed? Of all the people, you picked me. Do you see the difference in her prayers? The prayer in chapter 1 is, why me, Lord? But the prayer in chapter 2 is, why me, Lord? Do you see the difference in Hannah's prayers here? And then verse 11. Then Elkanah went to home to Ramah, and the boy, a young man, is the literal translation there, is referring to Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. And so from this point on, after her prayer, she releases him, and he serves God and his kingdom. So we have Hannah's answer, and then we see Hannah's adoration, her worship of God. So let's talk about some life lessons that we learn in this story. Continuation of sweet Hannah. I want to mention three life lessons. And, and by the way, let me just kind of give you a, a challenge. Each week as we study this a section of 1 Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want to challenge you to spend the next week in the same passage, reading it and rereading it. And I want you to write down maybe areas of application that God is giving you. Because it may be different than even what I'm speaking here on Sundays. Did you know the Bible is such a unique book? It's alive. You could read the same passage over and over and over again and come back years later and visit the same passage and get something different from it. And so I want us to spend time not just on Sundays in God's Word, but by jumping into God's Word throughout the week. And so I want to give you three life lessons from my study this week. Number one, parent with purpose. Those of you that are parents in the room, the lesson we learn from this is to parent with purpose. But for those of you that are grandparents, you need to leverage your opportunity with purpose. Those of you who work with kids, teachers, you need to leverage the opportunity God has given you to impact children. I want you to think about the ways that this couple intentionally raised their children. First, Elkanah was the spiritual leader of his home. He faithfully led his family. In chapter 1, verse 3, we see how he and his entire family took the annual trip to Shiloh. Then again, in verse 21, it says, The man Elkanah and all his house went up for the annual sacrifice to pay his vow. Then again, when Samuel's three or four years old, we see him taking his family to Shiloh. Elkanah, hear me, Elkanah desired for his family to be in church. 
He desired to be a spiritual leader of his household. Men, lead your family. God has given us the role of leading our family. And by all means, lead them to church. Take them so that they can uh, have a spiritual heritage. But don't just take them to church and still within them all the days of their life. The second way this couple partnered with a purpose was in Hannah's desire to wean Samuel. I want you to underline or circle the word wean in this text in your Bible. That word literally translated means to deal fully with. It means way more than just weaning him physically. It meant that she was purposeful in the time that she had to teach him the things that he needed to know. When she told Elkanah that she was going to wean Samuel, listen, what I think she was telling him was this, I'm going to train him. Uh, honey, I have a limited amount of time with this child. And I have to instill, I have to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to train this child in the way in which he should go. Mom, Dad, we have very limited time with our children. I heard it once said that the days are long, but the years are short. Kathy and I are realizing this to be very true as we've already graduated one and she's off in college and another one is knocking on the door of graduation himself. The time is limited. What are we doing with the limited amount of time that we have? We need to be very purposeful in our parenting. Hannah's desire comes from a command in the Scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4-9, through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, the Lord must constantly be in our children's view. Elkanah and Hannah took seriously the command to be purposeful in their parenting. And listen, parents, you need to know and understand something. If you are not discipling your children, someone else is. They are being discipled. And the person that is doing the discipling may be on the other end of a video game. It may be something that you would never want them to know and to understand and to be discipled in. And so therefore, beloved, we must be purposeful in our parenting. We must take up the mantle of discipling our kids. A third way that this couple parented with purpose was in their willingness to give, their willingness to give Samuel back to the Lord. Listen, they recognized something that was key. Children are not inconveniences. Children are gifts from God. Oh, how much does our culture need to realize that? Children are blessings and in fact they're on loan 
God has given them to you for a short period of time to steward them well. And listen, Hannah's prayer was not that Samuel would be really smart. It was not that Samuel would get a scholarship, excel in athletics, and makes lots of money. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. But first and foremost, her prayer was that he would serve God. Mom, Dad, how do we pray for our kids? Above all things, pray that they would serve the Lord. Another way these parents demonstrated purpose in parenting was by presenting Samuel to the priest. This is where we get the idea of family dedication. At least twice a year, we have young families up here with their children that are dedicating them to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They stand before God in their church, and they say, we take seriously the mantle, the charge that God has given us to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And while there's nothing magical about that dedication service, in other words, it doesn't guarantee your child's salvation, it does posture us as parents to be purposeful at raising our kids. Psalm 127, verses 3-5. through Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Two things I want to mention in this psalm. First, that word heritage can be viewed as an assignment. Children are an assignment from the Lord. God expects us to parent them with purpose. Secondly, our kids are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. What do we do with a bow and arrow? We aim that arrow, don't we? In other words, it has a target, a desired destination. And then in order to reach that destination, we have to let that arrow go and travel in the direction by which we've pointed it. That's parenting in a nutshell. And listen, let me give you the target Okay, so that there's no confusion. The target is Jesus. We want to point our kids in the direction of Jesus. And here's the deal. If we don't point them in that target, they'll miss it every time. Point our kids to Jesus and release them and let God deploy them in his service. Jesus is the target. We must parent with purpose. So the first, that's the first life lesson. The second life lesson that we learn from this passage is to live generously. Be people that are open-handed. Be people that are generous. I want you to consider the generosity of Elkanah and Hannah. Look at verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull. That's important. An ephah of flour and a skin of wine, all important to take note of. And uh, they brought with uh, Samuel to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young, and they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. A couple of things about this. A lot of scholars believe whenever it says a three-year-old bull, they actually believe it's three one-year-old bulls. And the reason why they believe this is because the required sacrifice was only one bull, only a half or a third of an ephah of flour, and only a half a hen of wine. 
And what they brought was three times the amount that was required of them. In other words, they were extremely generous because not only were they giving of those things, who else did they give that day? They gave their son. Left their son behind. They were extremely generous. In other words, they lived open-handedly. Everything I have is yours, Lord. And listen, I'm not just talking about what you give to the church. I'm talking about being generous with our time, our talent, and our treasures. Everything is God's. Do we give it back to Him to be leveraged for His kingdom? That's what living life open-handedly looks like. That's what it means. And that's what Hannah and Elkanah did. And I think there's something that we need to be clear on here. This couple was not generous in order to get something from God. I think we have this tendency, myself included, to think, well, if I'm diligent and giving, you know, my tithes, my offerings, you know, whatever, then God's going to wind up blessing me, right? And there is a, there is a biblical teaching in that regard, but that sh- can't be the motivation for our giving. And that wasn't the motivation for this couple's giving. How do we know that? Because God had already given Samuel to them. So this is what we learn. Our generosity is an expression of what has already been given to us. That's the learning principle here. And listen, you can't outgive God. Your generosity back to God is not going to get something from Him. Instead, it's, a, it's living in a, in a way in which realizing that God has already blessed you. He's already blessed me. And the greatest gift that he's given to us is something in which we could never repay him for. It's his son, Jesus, to be our atoning sacrifice. The motivation to live generously is the generosity that God has already shown us. Two life lessons. Parent on purpose. Live generously. Number three, pray passionately. Pray passionately. What I love about our study thus far in 1 Samuel is we have two passionate prayers of Hannah. But this is a different Hannah. Chapter 1 Hannah was one that was desperate. Chapter 2 Hannah is one that is fulfilled. Chapter 1 Hannah was desperately longing for God to work. Chapter 2 Hannah was expressing God's goodness to her. And both of these are done so in the passionate prayers of Hannah. The first words that she reads are praise to God. That's verse 1. And then she thanks God for overcoming the enemy. That's verses 3 through 5. Then she sees her story as a part of God's redemption story. Verse 8. And then she repeats God's character, His faithfulness in verses 2 and 10. And then she expresses her joy in God's coming salvation. A coming king in verse 10. Completely different, Hannah, than in chapter 1. Listen, spending time with God in passionate prayer changes us. When our heart drives us to our knees before the very throne room of heaven, God hears and He meets His people. Passionate uh, prayer transforms us. And Hannah experiences God in a radical way. Now remember, I tell you guys all the time, I'm, just, I'm, I'm up here preaching to myself. Y'all just happen to be in the room. And so let me tell you a convicting part 
of what God taught me this week. I think the depths of our prayers reveal our true understanding of the God to whom we pray. Think about that for just a moment. If we fully understood what is happening when we pray, that our very words are heard in the throne room of heaven, boldly approaching the presence of the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, don't you think we would pray a whole lot more? The depths of our prayers, the passion behind our prayers, reveal our true understanding of the God to whom we pray. Who it is that we petition. Listen, I think the example of Hannah is to grab a hold of God and don't let go until God moves. And some of us in this room, we're going through real stuff. And you're praying every single day. And let me just encourage you, don't stop praying. You grab a hold of God and you don't let go until God moves in your life. That's the passion behind the prayer that Hannah models for us. Three life lessons, parent with purpose. Live generously and pray passionately. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.